Welcome to an episode of Leah and the Internet. I hope you enjoy the show. Leah and the Internet is a show featuring rotating guests who discuss the impact the Internet has on the world. So who's Leah Devin Sarantino? I'm an artist, currently living in San Francisco. Episode 14 features two amazing guests, Luna Malbro and George Chen, who are the two creators of Equitable, an app that's correcting income inequality one meal at a time. The three of us discuss the misconceptions of technology's role in developing a progressive society. We might have also talked a little bit too long about Chris Rock's 2014 movie, Top 5, but you'll like the conversation. So I have George Chen. Hi. Luna Malbro. Hey. And can you guys tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'll start. So I'm a comic and writer here in the Bay Area, and I'm also the producer and host of a stand-up comedy show called Live Sex, which is a talk show in nature. We bring up sex parts and comedians to talk all about sexuality, <laughs> everything under the sun in the Bay Area. I don't like talking about sexuality at all. Uh, <laughs> I'm George. I have a podcast about documentaries. I'm a comedian, former musician, did a lot of event organizing around town. By the time this comes out, I guess it'll be R.I.P. Cinecave, uh, the space at Lost Weekend Video. Aww. It's not going to be around. Yeah, that's me. Cool. Where can people find you guys online? I drive people to Twitter, I think. At George the Chen is my Twitter account. Um, I have a website, lunaisfunny.com, and Luna is America on Twitter and Instagram, so simple that to remember. That is the best Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Why didn't I know that before right now? <laughs> I'm usually pretty good at my internet stock, but that, that is like another level. So I figured because we're all in the Bay Area and everybody here talks about the tech industry in the Bay Area, uh, recently, national attention, a girl got fired from Yelp uh, named Talia Jane, who was pretty fired up in a live journal-esque rant online about how she felt that she wasn't getting paid enough at her job and then proceeded to get fired a few hours later. All unfolded. I saw it on BuzzFeed first, Mm -hmm. so that's how I know it made national news because BuzzFeed's national. The article that you shared with me, George, was a discussion on Forbes, though, if Yelp was right. Like, right. should they have fired her? I don't, I think that was just the first thing that came up when I looked up the thing. I'm not, I didn't make a habit of, like, forwarding Forbes uh, articles around. <laughs> but, um... Just admit that you subscribed to the newsletter. You know, also, like, I hadn't read the letter, and then when I read the letter, I was like, I can see how this could rub people the wrong way because of totally. the way it's yeah. written. Uh, but I think at first I was just like, oh... That's messed up because people should have the right to their opinion and express it online. But then she did do it as an open letter to the CEO. Sure. So I don't know what she thought was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it should have been a fireable thing. But I don't, I don't remember the fallout of what happened afterward. If I mean, she definitely lost her job. Definitely lost That's her job. Sure. Still unemployed and, from Yelp. Yeah. And I don't know if that means that she's now, she wanted to do like video and social media, so maybe she can get her (laughs) chance with someone who's real into the possibility that they're going to, that she's going to flip on them. It's weird. I definitely saw it play out in like internet headlines Mm -hmm. before I actually bothered to read. It was really long. It's like 2,500 words. Wow. And on the internet, that's literally like a war and peace or something. It's like a, it's a serious novel. It made me think of actually just like a lot, I think the article from Forbes and the way it was being viewed is just like, it really, I think, had to do with actually the the crisis that this entire generation, we can say the 25, the under 30 is millennials, are facing 
terrible like lack of job opportunities mm. across the board i feel like the forbes guy was like these entitled millennials but I'm like well it's this shit's real people are moving back in with their parents they don't really have as many options even as like my generation you know I heard, saw the headlines, but I didn't really dive into the full thing. But you saved yourself some time. I saved my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is really intense. But I, I do kind of, I feel like we're at this point, I feel it in my own life, with my own job of just like, you know, you work at a place, we have this like freedom of expression online, but at the same time, it's like, ugh, there are consequences, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And if you just kind of, just say how you feel all the time. I don't know if that's necessarily... Ironically, it is Yelp. It's <laughs> like it's an entire industry based on people saying yeah, how they feel about true. things all the time. Yeah, it's literally crowdsourced opinion. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna so that's like the irony out. of it. Yeah. She's um, just yelping her work. I know. Doing. She had a lot of room, you know. It would have been way bolder for her to actually have done a Yelp review. <laughs> that that would have been, been okay. That's that Talia that Jane. You like, can okay. still do that. You can still yeah. leave a Yelp review for Yelp. That yeah, would be that's kind the of best. like you know what? That's going through the proper channels. Like, <laughs> that's actually satire. The then channels, that's you know? not just like you made uh, a medium, which I still don't quite understand how medium is not the same as Tumblr. Uh, I guess I don't. I didn't even understand that that was a thing. Medium is a separate like medium, format. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like you could aggregate like your 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 Twitter. I, you know what? I sound like such an old fucking man right now. <laughs> cut that part. Um, I don't know what she expected. That's yeah. the thing. I don't know what she expected. I, yeah, like as if somebody was gonna read it at Yelp and be like, you know what? Let me give you a raise. Like, Let me actually pay your phone bill because it became like it's so strange. Like I mentioned that I watched it play out within like headlines and at first i was like completely on board with her i was mm-hmm. like i can't believe somebody would get fired i was at this. first too yeah then i saw the backlash of anybody that was like over 40 on my facebook feed of millennial so entitled mm. and that's what i was thinking yeah, yeah and then i mean not that's what i was thinking but. <laughs> yeah and then i actually went and read the letter and there was parts of it that were so problematic where it's like overall Absolutely. Nobody should in their life should have to pay 80% of their income to their housing. That's mm-hmm. like astronomical. And that's what's happening all over this city. Really like painful. The standard, yeah. And then mm-hmm. on the flip side, at 25, that having full benefits in a 40-hour-a-week job became like, I was thinking about myself in terms of... Right, because like, she's not like... Ad- is she advocating for some kind of unionization for for people that work at Yelp? Is she advocating for just uh, higher wages no I mean like she was just advocating for more money (laughs) and I mean like I feel you like that would be nice but it doesn't necessarily address and again I think that that's why the more powerful message that we all like kind of started with about what's happening within the Bay Area and technically what's happening to that generation as a whole Mm -hmm. it is really problematic in terms of dumping in a ton of money towards education like you can't you can't have a the so the, much money. <laughs> <laughs> the the romantic idea I was like watching the Wonder Years and like the dad getting like out of the military and going to and getting a regional manager job and funding yeah. a two car family with kids and that I was shit like is gone. it's yeah. so gone and yeah. she should be pissed she right. went about it in like kind of a bratty way mm-hmm. but yeah. the the underlying problem she's talking about is real but it, the tone of the piece is a little hard take well and i think that there's this kind of delusion amongst if you're working in the tech industry that there's this kind of bubbling 
prosperity, like not just financially, but quality, economically, like everything is supposedly more progressive. It's faster, it's newer, it's better. It's the same reason that there's this type of idea that millennials are entitled because they supposedly have it so great. Mm -hmm. This experience is supposed to be so great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that the more you see maybe Italia, who maybe went about it a wrong way, it's not just in like an economic sense that the tech industry is still breeding a lot of the negativity that a previous generation has bestowed onto younger people. I mean, at Facebook right now, Mark Zuckerberg had to address people scratching out Black Lives Matter on whiteboards. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a re- like, we're thinking that this, like, new generation is, like... So, so progressive or so, like, yeah... So I, every now and then I, I get a really interesting history lesson and it's it's fascinating to me how we think that as we move linearly along in time that everyone gets more progressive, but that's not necessarily the case. I was in a, a training uh, on diversity or anti-bias or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And they were basically talking about how when puritanical settlers came here, Native American women were like in charge of many different tribes and they actually started but like really um, negating the power of the women and would only talk to the men to kind of like drive a shift mm-hmm. and, and, and the relationships between men and women. And they did that with a lot of indigenous people. And so, and how like even female settlers at first had a lot more responsibility and I guess clout than they, they did hundreds of years later. So it's really interesting to see how like things were progressive at certain times or pro- progressive in different ways and how things kind of sneak up to... Mm-hmm shut power down so I feel like it's so it's so interesting that we always think like oh this generation is the most like non-post-racial just not even blah 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 well, I mean like we're not even bringing up there was a KKK rally in the Orange County yeah. which yeah. is like yeah to, in my growing up it's like I'm like I'm in Cal on the west coast even though I know the Orange County and San Diego tend to have like these sort of like conservative, conservative things that's still just like people out in the open people feeling emboldened to go out in the open and do that is crazy to me online you see a lot of conversations about institutionalized racism or like the subtleties of right. gender inequality oh i'm used to subtle racism yeah yeah my <laughs> In the Bay Area, that's all we know. But this past weekend, like you're saying, yeah. like, there's just been straight out, I hate everybody that's not white and male. And like, a KKK guy in the marina now, too. Right, Did you see right. that? I well, mean, this is a guy who went down. <laughs> like, that's even so regional. That's so regional of a joke. I don't, I, I don't mean to laugh. Oh, yeah. There's at least one member of the KKK in San Francisco. This is SF Weekly, if you go yeah. to SF Weekly. He lives in the marina, public records and police. He's 51. He was one of the people mm-hmm. in at the rally in Anaheim that mm-hmm. uh, went violent, and, but he's from here. There was a really great scene. I don't know. I, I, this is always the, the fun thing to You guys ever seen The Wire? Uh, only not as much as I, There's I, a I, I always drop off. great yeah. YouTube video of like people just constantly saying, have you seen The Wire? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a great scene in season three where Bunny Coleman, who is a police officer, is addressing a politician and he's telling this pretty horrific story of this uh, undertaker that would only, in his funeral home, allow white people to go through the funeral home. And the politician looks at Bunny Coleman, a black guy, and he's like, oh, that's so awful. And he's like, yeah, but with him, I know where I stand. Exactly. With you, I don't know where I stand. Mm -hmm. And I think about that when the Mark Zuckerberg addressing 
which was the original point, Mark Zuckerberg addressing his staff saying mm-hmm. that people scratching this out anonymously is this really malicious act and that it's unexpected to him of his staff within California that this is this type of thing is happening, this mm-hmm. kind of overt yet anonymous type of behavior. And even when I read it, I, I wouldn't have assumed that of I kind of, of Mark assumed, Zuckerberg. No, no, not of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> I was I was actually that was what was most surprising to me. I yeah, was me like, too. oh nice. Good job. Yeah, like, like he came through yeah. in in that moment. And like I we're so used to second guessing everything he does. Absolutely. There's yeah. so many like, times. And because that was not a press release, it was an internal memo that got leaked. Mm-hmm. It feels like that's like okay, that's a little bit more what he's actually About. like if he's like, hey, I need to keep my employees in check. Right. Like that's actually that's not the face that you see when he's doing a press release about how he's going to donate his daughter's money to, exactly. like, like, some, uh, can't get into that. Yeah. Uh. There's many times where, like, I'll start to think, like, oh, Mark Zuckerberg's people, you know, like, with the, oh, we're going to give India free internet, but they can only access Facebook and ads. And it's, like, <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. That's, like, a real deal thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then... I thought it was more genuine too when I saw it as a memo, but I was more taken back that because the tech industry is so generational here, at least that's what it feels to me at like 31 years old, I feel like really old at my job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've talked to like previous guests who are around the same age who work in the tech industry and they also feel like spinsters or what's it like, it's more elegant for a male. It's like bachelor when you're like older. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> One, there was that shift, but then, you know, I keep seeing online, like there was recently at a high school, a bunch of kids with they were playing basketball to an opposing latino team and just were screaming trump like the entire time and it's like those are teenagers that's like yeah it's incredibly uh frightening and then i think like how could people have this type of narrow-minded opinion still and then i watch the oscars (laughs) i wonder too if it's like so i what i think the thing that i'm fascinated about is how recent advances in technology and social media have changed culture or are changing culture. And so I think we went, I remember back in my day, the internet was a place all about being anonymous and all about, you know, just being whatever you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nothing was attached to your, sure. your person. And then all of a sudden I feel like, you know, we had this thing where everyone's connected and blah, 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 blah. And now I see a shift back to these individual random anonymous people who can say whatever they want and I feel like just knowing human behavior you're going to keep on pushing boundaries so you're doing this online and you're you're you know agitating people online and then there's only so much you can go before you kind of want to go to the next level and I think the scariest thing to me about Trump is not whether or not he becomes president I feel like he's already kind of inspired a lot of people to hate out loud and publicly Mm -hmm. and that is he can lose tomorrow, you know, and the, da- the, the damage is the gates. The, the damage, damage has been done and it's going to continue to grow, I think. So um, I'm originally from Atlantic City mm. and Donald Trump, when he originally announced that he was running for president, he's done it multiple times. <laughs> like the devastation that he has done to the city of Atlantic City is a... Uh, is like beyond repair. Wow. Like it's uh, devastating that a uh, metropolis that thrived at one point because of his interjection, along with many other people, has went from 11 major casinos to 
eight has disassembled the union has created one of the largest poverty uh, riddled cities in all of the country crime per capita is as high as detroit or any Uh, other city it's yeah. yeah and it's it's distinctly because of this man's like business practices and negativity. Mm-hmm. So recently, when Governor Christie said that he supported the governor of New Jersey, said that he supported oh, yeah, this person, him, yeah. I realized like, oh my god, all logic is off the table for this scenario. And to your point, it has shown that, that beyond a shadow of a doubt, it has unleashed something about really negative about our country that just can't be closed after this it says something so indicative that we have been ignoring for a really long time that we with this notion of progress this idea that things are assembling and the minute we interject fear and a platform to this country what gets shouted the loudest is just straight up xenophobia racism well and i think uh, i live most of my life online like when and i mean that by like television i don't watch cable tv and recently visiting my grandparents in orlando florida where they just had fox news on the entire time I just didn't have a concept of the information that everybody else is getting. Like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. like all of us live in a really narrow, a- aggregated world. You gotta visit your parents. Yeah. You gotta visit your, your, <laughs> your we- you gotta see what your weird uncle's doing at Thanksgiving. What yeah. his weird opinions are. It's gonna. You gotta see what's because we do live in a little bit of a bubble here. Absolutely. You were trying to talk about the Oscars, which I missed mostly. I think that. The older, an older generation that's getting this platform that you're kind of seeing play out with, with the Donald Trumps and the mm-hmm. whole Republican like circus that's existing, and honestly the Democratic one that's happening as well, where you're watching like a liberal base just completely eat it, itself, mm-hmm. um, in this way that they're attacking one another so poorly, they're ignoring the fact that the Republicans have the the momentum that that they do, right. um, which is really scary. But I wonder from a younger perspective where the negativity and the hate comes from. And then when I watch something like the Oscars and seeing how even though they're addressing one part of racism, sexism really head on, Mm -hmm. they are perpetuating Mm -hmm. negativity amongst um, sexuality, amongst other minorities in this way that was so subtle that it was so much more damning than like there was a skit with Whoopi Goldberg like constantly mopping up around people and things like that and it's like okay i i get this like overt overt statement that you're making mm-hmm. but you're allowing all this weird negativity amongst the spe- specifically around asian people i i think that the oscars is always just a total piece of shit to women um mm-hmm. it's well i mean like the whole media in general is such a right. such a tough racket to be in as like a female and then i watched it and i was like oh well i'm completely not surprised anymore why another generation who is completely fetishizing celebrities and celebrity culture because like we all do i still do i mean like i don't follow the kardashians but damn i check their twitter feed quite <laughs> often like mm-hmm. it's just like so enthralling and then what's enthralling is mashed together with super shitty subtle oppressive mm-hmm. negativity it's frustrating because like i'm a fan of chris rock and i want to be i, I you know i think he's the best person to do a job like that and like the monologue is good like his monologue is really good it was really it was um, really strong and it was very and it just really like took things to task and i'm like a fan of anyone who's gonna do that but then i have to think about like 
Okay, so who's got the approval on all of the jokes that go through yeah. the the system? And this came up a little bit when there was there was a movement. This is maybe three years ago to boycott uh, Colbert be from an Asian American angle because of like a character he did that was a caricature Asian character, and it was really hard for me to like at that time too like. I'm like, I feel like this person's like 95% right about everything. So it's real, it sucks to see sure. that kind of thing happen. So I feel that way with Chris Rock. It's just a point of frustration. And it's a point of frustration for me in the, both those cases where I'm like, well, they didn't have like any Asian people in the writer's room. Mm-hmm. And that would have been where that shit gets checked. And that came up too when the Wyatt Cenac uh, story came out about his, his, uh, Thing when he got in a screaming match with Jon Stewart, or rather, right. Jon Stewart got in a screaming match with him. I can't see that guy screaming. He's so mellow. <laughs> I can't. But you even know that story I'm yeah, talking about, right? Yeah. Where, like, basically, Whites and I was like, hey, critiquing Jon Stewart for doing a black character voice. Jon Stewart getting mega defensive and being like, what? I'm so liberal, and sure. this joke, is, this is just me doing this. And he's just like, it just is a trigger for me, or it's just like, it raises my hackles. And that's like a legit response also, and that's right. representative. And if those writers' rooms aren't diverse, then that doesn't get addressed at all. For sure. So I think that's part of it. So, I mean, and even I, of the Oscar jokes that involved Asians, the ones with the little kids, I didn't find it, and this is weird because I don't, I don't know, maybe only because there wasn't any other major Asian representation on the stage, but I thought it was kind of funny, like it because it was like three Asian kids and one of them had a Jewish last name. So that was also part of the joke. Mm-hmm. And then they just made a joke about child labor right after that. Mm-hmm. I get why people are bummed out about it, and I also wish that there was more than just that. But I, I but I didn't see everything that happened that night because I missed Sasha Baron Cohen's bit also. Sure. Which I also like. I just heard that interview he did with Mark Maron where he talks about. How basically, like, I get that Ali G is, like, an idiot character. Like, it's making fun of this kind of appropriation of different cultures mm-hmm. all the time. That's kind of what the point of Ali G is. But, so, I don't know. I, I feel in this weird position of, like, from a comedy standpoint, being okay with some of the stuff, but then from, like, a political standpoint, not being okay with it. Does that make sense? No, it, it makes sense to me. I I mean, I, I love the Ali G character, but then I also struggle with it in terms of, like, okay, I'm an informed audience, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And I can understand the joke that he's trying to make, but the problem is that this is on public television, and not everybody's in on the joke, and if it, not everybody's laughing at the same thing, and they're not learning from yeah. the experience, that's where, like, it starts to get kind of weird for me in right. terms of, like, does this... Does this actually come off? I think a lot about like I like mm-hmm. Chris Rock too, and I was really excited for Top Five. Mm. And then the did you have problems with Top Five? I had a, I had problems. I want to hear your guys' problems with Top Five. <laughs> I thought it was a pretty interesting movie. I thought like um, it, he's gone a lot of different directions with this movie. So, sure. Yeah, we can take a total sidebar and talk about Top Five for like yeah, this I, movie I, came out I, a year I, and a half ago, <laughs> and nobody gave it the time of day. I I I kind of I I just liked the range of it. Like, it was kind of all over the place. What were your problems with it? Yeah, I'm going to let you go first. (laughs) uh, So I'll just say this, and just kind of commenting on what what y'all said. So I am always grappling with that place by being someone who does, like, diversity and anti-bias and self-awareness training by day, being a comedian by night. I'm always kind of like, all right, I find the humor in it, but who are you being, who are you excluding? Who is Mm -hmm. the joke being made? Like, who's being a target of the joke? And as a comedian, I'm like, yes, I hear that sometimes that could be done but 
I always feel like, you know, you can't make everyone happy all the time, but if you're being op- if you're able to be open and self-critical and like just try to, you know, move forward in a way that's best for you, that's how I I do it anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But back to Chris Rock. I think I think my problem with a lot of people who are like, you know, people will say Chris Rock is so progressive or he or they would say he like he he really carries the the flag or waves the flag for black people like I feel like he does that with a lot of misogyny. I find him to be incredibly misogynistic mm-hmm. from the get. Like yes. I, I felt like he's always been misogynistic. I to the point where it. I feel like he hates women. I feel like he hates women. I hated his movie, Black Hair. I thought it completely missed the point. I felt like you were a man trying to talk about like why women, black women, wear their hair. And he makes... I feel like I didn't even really like his monologue that much. And a lot of people in the black community had a lot of criticism behind it. Because mm-hmm. he was making fun of black people, like making them the the there were several times the butt of the joke, the joke yeah. like instead of saying like this is an issue, it's just like oh look at all these people with no jobs trying to tell me not to do this. They're like Jada shouldn't be, you know what I mean? Like yeah, he did. <laughs> yeah, he did chill on Jada. <laughs> <laughs> he took her to, he took my, her to task. Who's sure. my queen? Um, <laughs> but anyway, I thought, so. I found that in in top five. I thought it was just like straight up. What's a fantasy about this? He created this fantasy woman in a way. Yeah, too, I mean it's all. I mean I feel like there's always that character that I see in a lot of like male written movies. Yeah. And just like this woman yeah. was just like, I just happen to be so beautiful and gorgeous and just waiting around for you, guy who has nothing together at all. Yeah. Nothing yeah. to to nothing to enhance the yeah. woman. Nothing. <laughs> uh, and then what I the fixation and this also like just came about from Kanye tweets. Shout oh, out yeah. Amber Rose yeah. is the fixation on like the guy wanting fingers in his butt and like I just think that like <laughs> is I, I get that that's a, like a funny thing but as somebody who was raised by lesbians uh-huh. like any time that there's like this weird like homosexuality is icky and any uh-huh. type of reference to it is mm-hmm. icky that's why men don't want to say that they get fingers in their butt mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. not about the butt because then Nicki Minaj wouldn't have a full career about people eating her ass like it's <laughs> yeah it's not about like the mm-hmm. butt being gross but it's like, about the his- and his his defensiveness about it is we're talking about right because he's immediately just well, like well Kanye's yes yeah. but in the movie the oh, same the, thing that it was like this butt of oh, the joke yeah. because oh, right, her right, boyfriend right. was real like it turned out that her boyfriend was a, a closet homosexual oh, that's right. and that yeah, became yeah, yeah. this like big pinnacle of like First of all, that's true, you are that in is, New York City yeah. in 2014. I, I actually, a lot of people have a lot of background. Yeah. But mm-hmm. why would it have been such a pinnacle of the story? And like, why would it have been such a big deal that he came out as a closeted man? And why would that be so shaming to her? Mm-hmm. And like, right. it, all of that, I was mm-hmm. just like, you could have done this. You could have omitted all of this in this movie. Still would have been funny. Mm-hmm. But you had to make this joke about. Yeah. I, I, mean, I just didn't get it. It's. It, it definitely has a lot. Of, I I see. I mean, it definitely has a lot of problems as a movie. Yeah, for sure. And but that's what I felt like within the Oscar performance. Uh-huh. And I think that those jokes, even though they were kind of subtly sprinkled in, they're really overt, low hanging yeah. fruit jokes. Yeah. Like for Chris Rock, like okay, we're gonna Maybe make fun of Jewish people being accountants and mm-hmm. Asian people being smart with math and mm-hmm. like I, right. It seems like yeah, maybe those are leftover jokes from Seth MacFarlane's time hosting the Oscars. Right? That's kind of how it felt to me. Like we didn't get to use these uh, <laughs> in the most offensive one, so we'll just recycle them. All those things. I see everything you're saying, and like I guess. The idea that we want him to be more progressive than he is exactly. is maybe yeah. that's part of it. Yeah, like we need a, a person to do that because how who's left to do it right now? Like who's gonna do it? John Stewart just retired, and yeah. that was like it for a lot of people. Right. 
I do find I, I do find it to be interesting though, like when we think of part of the reason that Chris Rock made those overt, you know, um, jokes around Asians is because there's not I mean, you don't hear that much about like, you know, bias and bigotry towards Asians and I feel like so many people are left out of this conversation when we talk about racism, when we talk about isms. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that are left out of the conversation and so I think you can't for me, even though, I, you know, I'm black as a day is long and I love, like, black people and I'll say black lives matter, but I won't do that and then shit on another race or yeah. another, like, mm-hmm. you know, for me. And if and if I do, then I want to be called out on it. And I can't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be comfortable calling myself progressive yeah. if that meant I'm only going to talk about black issues and I'm only going to push yeah. this, this thing forward. Well, and I thought what was interesting about him making those jokes... Uh, the only interesting thing about it is that what is still acceptable in the general public to overtly say. That's why people are like, if Asians were getting equal time in all these other areas and not just being a butt of a joke, then that would be different than how it is. So I'm like, taken as an isolated incident, like it's maybe not that bad, but if you look at the entire arc of everything, it's like, yeah, yeah, like we just are not part of these other conversations in general. And I guess I just didn't expect it with how the conversation happened, where Chris Rock was kind of given this like major responsibility of correcting that hashtag Oscar so (laughs) right, you know? And like, I really thought that because of that hashtag, because of the momentum, because of the conversation around it, that they would have fine tooth combed all of that content. Yeah. And I mean, they did let Seth, Seth MacFarlane host that thing a couple years ago, so I don't know that they have. I mean, I don't know how much is on him and how much he has a team of writers working with him on this stuff, too. So it's definitely a messy thing. Yeah. And like, it's like basically when we talk about like, the idea of like being intersectional or like. Mm-hmm. having to connect all these things like we have to it's like a new concept for a lot of people i think it's a real new guy co- and it, i feel like the thing is pull other people in the room pull people in the room yeah. it's not <laughs> you know it's like chris rock produced kamal's show and that was kind of all about intersectionalities like he had gay people on his staff he had yeah. indian people asian people like in like it was really diverse room that he mm-hmm. had for that show i think that came out in how that show worked um, so, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a good example of, like, Chris Rock being like, I'm going to support this other person who's got good ideas and, like, yeah. try to help bring them up. Mm-hmm. And well, I mean, but I- then that puts a lot of pressure on come out, too. It's like, the other guy who's like, he's good at intersectional stuff, so he just does it. You just yeah. do that, yeah. yeah. Well, like, I guess in, like, some real talk, it's kind of sucks that the Oscars didn't ever address, own up to, or have the discussion, but still left it amongst somebody else that... All of the conversation and criticism is around Chris Rock's performance, joke choices. Right. Well, that's true. That's true. They cool. kind of like that's threw it on point. him. Yeah. That's a good point. But yeah, outsourced like, that shit. Too. Yeah. yeah. Like, nobody's like, you know, the person who produced the Oscars, mm-hmm. you know, what the, you know, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's a great way to change the conversation is to, you know, let your yeah. black host do the dirty work. And right. Then, you know. yeah. Also to bring up another thing, which I just found out recently, which was that basically the Oscars were an award they gave out to try and prevent the actors from unionizing. It was basically <laughs> like a way to like kind of keep their labor in check. Like, here's an award. You don't yeah. need all these other rights. And even though there was SAG, I guess it's just this other, like I, I read mm-hmm. that somewhere mm-hmm. that the I'm Oscars sure. themselves are like a, a union busting operation. I mentioned the, the, the hashtag Oscar so white, and we've had a lot of conversations about this kind of intersection between like the progressiveness that we think that uh, technology is going to have on popular culture and the progressiveness that we think it's going to have within our day-to-day lives, our politics, 
but essentially the promise of technology providing us a path to equality um, might not be completely to fruition <laughs> or yeah. is it yeah. on the exact path and yeah. how uh, you two have been brought to my attention is through an app that you guys collectively created for uh, a comic hackathon yeah correct? comedy hack was it comedy, comedy hack day, day. Yeah. yeah so first let's set up what it is where it happened comedy hack day yeah that was the end of Sketchfest, end of January, and they've done multiple Comedy Hack Days in San Francisco. I think the first, I went to, I think, one of the first ones, which was in the Twitter building, if you can believe it, and then it became part of Sketchfest, I think, the last two years. It's Cultivated Wit mm-hmm. is this company that was founded late by Artinda Thurston, and it's, uh, I guess basically there's like three other guys running it right now. And they just bring developers, like engineers, designers, comedians, improvisers, writers together and they're like, hey, pitch some funny app ideas and we have a weekend to work on it. So that's what that actual hackathon is in, in the spirit of other hackathons. The only hackathon I've been to has been the comedy hackathon. <laughs> so they reference hackathon culture and I don't really know what they're talking about. Sure. Do you, do you have like a, was there a time limit? Like where you... Were you given, like, a, a time parameter? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, like, it was, like, first day, it was the pitch, and then you form teams and work on ideas, and then you really only had, I guess... 48 hours. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe less. From the pitch to Usually the Usually it's 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah, but, oh, from the from the very 48 hours on yeah. the Sunday. Yeah. yeah. But even, like, there was, like, a finalization round that happened on Saturday, so even we just had really a 24, day. 24, yeah. Yeah, to get it together. So, in the app you guys created? So the app that we created is called Equitable, formerly known as Equipay. <laughs> <laughs> to the chagrin of the guy who has... Who actually has an app called Equipay. And got the nastiest iTunes review because of us. Several. Several. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's been such an interesting experience over the past mm. month. It's been going on. Yeah. Neither of us has um, developed an app before. Yeah. That's totally a new thing. Yeah. yeah. And the app essentially is modern day reparations that we can do, I'm assuming, one meal at a time as the well, tagline. I can actually show you on my phone how it works. Ooh. If you want to take a Everybody look. Everybody can look through the podcast. Well, <laughs> obviously. <like laughs> Equitable, formerly Equipay. I can create, you can add yourself as a friend on my uh, account. So you can take a little picture of yourself if you put the thumb on there. Leah's my friend now, guys. This is podcasting at its finest. Nice. And then there's a gender slider, male to female, and you can select a race. Actually, you have to select a race. That's the other part. Talk a little bit, uh, just just so there's Oh, what the idea is. It's like a, a bill splitting app that is based on the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, based on Ooh, income, average incomes for different demographics. And P- I, it's a little, our options are blunt because the data from the Bureau of Labor is fairly blunt. So there's not a ton of racial options. But yeah, um, and then we, what we do is we then say that you and I are going to go out to lunch and we're going to spend 50 bucks on lunch and then we can calculate it and it says, I hope you stay friends after this. I should be paying 29 while you're paying 20 And then there is a built-in protest function. 
So you can... The protest function's really funny. Yeah, these yeah. are the protests if you want to look at it. Yeah, sure. So they have a range. And they have, like, a response. All of them have, like, a built-in response. I'm unconventionally attractive. <laughs> I'm aware of my privilege. <laughs> I like it's my birthday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to click on it? I am. Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we tried to, like, make it still kind of friendly in sure. the middle of all of it. So, uh, um... I originally saw the article in the Atlantic about oh, the yeah, app, yeah, and then, but then preparing for the podcast, I wanted to like Google search like what other articles have been written oh, about uh, the app, and most of them just source the original Atlantic article, but the <laughs> yeah. the titles change. Mm-hmm. Um, it's journalism, <laughs> like very significantly. But what I found interesting is the more uh, right wing the news engine or the content provider was, the title changed from diversity app to app that celebrates reparations yeah. to uh, app that makes white people pay more. Yeah, yes. exactly. <laughs> I did uh, see that. Apps, uh, another one would refer to uh, making whites pay more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Calm your white guilt with this. It's just, it, that's, yeah, it's been fascinating to see that. Yeah, which is interesting is using the app right now, yeah. being a white female, Asian male, mm-hmm. you actually ended up, it's not as racially, I mean, it is racially driven, obviously, and mm-hmm. gender driven because that's our society, but the presumptions of the app are not necessarily I think intuitive and I remember in one of the questions somebody actually pointed out Mm -hmm. oh as an Asian male you're paying more than right and the answer was just that it's statistically Asian males do make more and like 20% more or something like that. So that's just the raw numbers that we're working with. And uh, we had a joke of like, you could take into things like how much you make in a year and where your parents are from and things like that, but that's a pay level. Like that's a pay feature. You pay to protest what the thing tells you. And I'm like, that's fine. If we ever build that up, then if you want to protest that, you can protest that. Well, even watching the video, it reminded me, uh, BuzzFeed had a quiz that came out about like, what's your percentage of privilege? Mm. Uh-huh. And you had to fill oh, out I kinda remember that. a yeah. series of 100 mm-hmm. questions. Oh, God. And there was a lot of things. <laughs> if like, you had the time to fill out this form, you know, some privilege. <laughs> I know. You right. got office job privilege. <laughs> yeah. Like, but they asked a lot of questions like single parents, like mm-hmm. stuff like that, that you don't necessarily think about being as somebody who was from a single parent. Those moments where I was like, oh, I never took this into account of anything mm-hmm. at that time. But yeah, you're right. I guess, like, I did watch a lot more TV than some, you know, just weird stuff. I think it's a... I'm sure that you guys think it's an interesting concept because you created it. Yeah. But I think it's a an amazing commentary on especially existing in a liberal crowd where mm-hmm. I'm constantly involved in conversations about people's self-awareness and people's acknowledgement to the protest button's privilege mm-hmm. and this understanding that I might be of a privileged class or I understand race or gender or mm-hmm. all of these different things but essentially something that makes you put your money where your mouth is because yeah. we are such a commercially <laughs> commerce driven that's really the and- more I think about it that's really what it does is like once it involves your wallet that's that's when people have to put up or shut up. Exactly. And that and that's what I love about it because it's a playful way of being like, you know, you can always say, oh, I'm, I'm aware of my privilege, like one of the protests. And it's just like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it? Right. Yeah. And I, so I think I, a lot of reporters and people, when they interview me, they're just like, do you, the a question I get is, do you think that people should pay more? Like, do you use this app with your friends? And I always say, you know, it goes back to like, everyone needs to figure out what's best for them and like make a baby step for that. And not just think about this as, oh, this thing is horrible. Oh, oh for, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Especially since doing this podcast and uh, going to art school and life. Um, uh, art school privilege. <laughs> 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 um, this paper is made of smoke here. 
I think a lot about what am I actually willing to sacrifice based on the conversations that I have, and it's really curved the things that I would say. Like, 10 years prior, Leah would make a lot more boastful statements mm -hmm. than right now, because there's a lot of things that I think and I believe, but, like, when I have to put myself to actually doing them like what what am i doing i absolutely think that i contribute culturally i i try to be involved in certain ways i live in an area where i'm seeing deep poverty all the time yeah. and I'm, I'm not doing anything about yeah. that, so what... I mean, I think you and I maybe have this other issue, probably. It might be mutual, being from Philly and me living in Oakland. is like, we're basically part of, like, hipster gentrification levels. Absolutely. It's like, Especially this is, like, the being thing. Being from Philly or being from Oakland, it's like, it's like, this made sense 10 years ago, but now I'm having to see the people that are at the echelon above me, like, coming in and kicking other people out, you mm. know? And so it's, like, definitely, like, being... That conversation's really hard to, like, figure out where, where things are. Because you got to live somewhere. That's, like, yeah, the hard that's part. that's true, too, yeah. But Absolutely. it's, like, where... It's, like... How do you live? Like, how, how do you move? Yeah. And, like, that's, like, a really... In San Francisco, this is, like, the conversation. One of the big conversations. It's, yeah. To me, yeah. like, since moving here six mm -hmm. months ago, it's, like, the only conversation. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. in the tenderloin. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote... I actually wrote something in, in December, kind of, like, marinating on this. It was just, like, am I a black Oakland gentrifier or am I 60 years late? Because it was just, I, I, you know, I live in Oakland. I grew up in Louisiana. Most of the black people in Oakland are from the South it, at some point. Like, most of their family members are there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's so interesting me going there. I'm like, oh, y'all are the people that got out during Jim Crow. I'm like, mm -hmm. I get it. Like, my family was just kind of like, meh, whatever. We'll just, we'll <laughs> well, just like, stay. Yeah. A lot of people moved during around World War II. Yeah. Like shipbuilding. And, like, it's like, it was, that's crazy thing to me because, like, it's like, when you go to a city like Atlanta where there's a black middle class, it right. feels so different than it is in, like, Oakland. Because it's like, there used to be, like, a black middle class in Oakland. Well, yeah. And that's kind of gone. And gentrification in Philadelphia looks very different than it does here. The place that got, um, or that is currently getting kind of rampaged by gentrification uh -huh. was uh, a poor white area. Mm -hmm. It's the northeast of Philadelphia, okay. where which was known for being horrendously racist. Mm -hmm. And now, like they're being completely displaced. It was 98% white mm -hmm. below the poverty line. So when people talked about gentrification, I only saw it as a class issue originally until I started moving to other cities mm -hmm. because of the unique situation that's happening in Philadelphia. However, that is now happening in Southwest Philadelphia and it will be a more complex conversation there. Well, I feel like this is the other thing that has been brought up a lot going back to Equitable, which is people, the very next question is just like, well, what about class? And it's like, yeah, we can work on that too. <laughs> we, we, it's like yeah. this is almost highlighting how that's also part of it. Yeah. So it really is just like, yeah, that's, but we're using money as a tool to kind of get there. In a right. Way. And it's it's also, not like that's not the goal, but it is like it's bringing that up because that's the next thing people go to. It, it's, it's interesting. It's the thing that people always go to. And it's just like, well, number one, we have economic discrimination based on race and gender. That's like, what I was about to say. I was like, I would assume that addressing race and gender is addressing class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the perception amongst especially white people who are of a lower class that, they, that cannot understand their privilege mm -hmm. is the fact that uh, the, the blanketed statement of class. Uh, grow, growing up in, again, Atlantic City, not a thriving city, white people fall back on class very often in terms of the conversation okay. of privilege yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. because they'll say that I haven't had any advantages. Coming from somebody who was a single-parent lesbian waitress who lived in a trailer with 12 people at one time in my life, mm -hmm. there's absolutely no way that I would 
would be able to be in this apartment right now having a conversation with you guys if it wasn't presumed by society that I was not from that background mm -hmm. when every time I got an opportunity to go to school, go to a job. Mm. Like, that is what escapes white people from a lower class. Mm -hmm. um, and not all of them, that's a very sweeping generalization. Mm -hmm. But as being a teenager who would once hear about privilege and go, but I wasn't privileged, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to now being an adult understanding that it is all about gender and race at the forefront because that's the visual thing that everybody sees. They mm -hmm. don't see your bank account when exactly. you walk up to them. Yeah. Or lack of bank account. And it's so interesting to me because I feel like a lot of the critiques, you know, some... <laughs> A lot of the comments and a lot of the things, it was just like, well, what about Oprah? Like, what, if I eat with Oprah, I'm like, first of all, the fact not that... Yeah, you're not eating with Oprah. I, I, Oprah must be getting a lot of, giving yeah. out a lot of invitations, because that's just a really big concern that people have. <laughs> so, well, well, I have to pay if I eat out with Oprah. Like, literally, I see that so often. And I'm just like, first of all, if that's the only... Or you're reading the comments. Don't yeah. read the comments. <laughs> well, no. Well, that, that's you even, have to, though. Yeah. Well, one, it wasn't that I was reading the comments. The one <laughs> it was, uh, it was a critical article about Equitable, and mm -hmm. it was so it was just like Equitable. The German was, woman? No, no, it was with Apple, and it was oh, like okay. Equitable, and then it was like my name tagged, and it was Oprah, and I was just like, I don't even know what this critique is about. I'm just saying that my name is tagged with Oprah. So that's all <laughs> I need to know. I'm like. I don't even know what I'm doing. But it's just like that. So I've been seeing that come up a lot and people asking that question. And I just think it's, if that's the only example that you have that can come to your mind. Right, yeah. Like name another successful yeah. black woman that everybody a, could possibly yeah. know. That As a billionaire, yeah. yeah. I, didn't, I didn't anticipate, and like why wouldn't I anticipate you guys having all of these really disparaging conversations about a really unique conversation that you created with an application online? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> why would I be surprised that people would find the negativity amongst something really smart and important to talk about but I think that's kind of been the theme of this entire episode is that we are blinded by the uh, hope of progressiveness right now mm -hmm. with technology and the internet and I st wholeheartedly I wouldn't have a podcast about the internet and technology if I didn't believe that it was like this fundamental thing to kind of yeah. keep helping us push forward but I don't think that we have harnessed how we can use these tools in a positive way. Yeah, and what you're saying kind of reminds me of, like, early internet was this kind of utopianism that begat, like, Burning Man. Like, mm -hmm. it was, like, this white libertarian kind of utopianism. And I think what we're dealing with is, like, we just need to use technology to fix the real problems sure. that we're dealing with. And instead of, like... There was a sort of like, oh, we'll be living in an Oculus Rift and it won't matter at some point. Yeah. But we're still just dealing with all the structural problems of life. And and then like any technology, there's so much of it. I mean, I do a podcast too. It's like we do there's escapism that comes with your technology. Mm -hmm. And then there's just like I'm like I don't even read books anymore. I just read like think pieces. I don't know how to read a book anymore. Yeah. Uh, my brain has been my attention span has been so like shunted by the well, yeah. internet. But, um, I mean, yeah, I started this conversation by saying that 2,000 words was a, <laughs> was a war and peace, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think, I just want to keep on exploring how these recent changes in culture have changed us and how we relate to each other. And, you know, I love what you're saying about, you know, <laughs> being blinded by the hope mm -hmm. of progressiveness. I think that's a really good place to yeah. kind of end it. Thank you guys so much for we coming. We should all get dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, just one more time, where can people find your collective projects and then your individual oh, yeah. projects? Well, uh, the Twitter, well, 
we had we were Equipay up, and now the real Twitter for that is Equipay. Oh, sorry, you do it. Equitable app. <laughs> Equitable. So app. at Equitable app, and then also at the website equitableapp.com. And we're gonna be launching a video. Yes. Coming really soon. Around the time this is out, I think the video will probably be on its way. Awesome. Yeah. And that we're doing that with Cultivated Way. And where can people find you online one more time? Just um, I have the podcast about documentaries called SupDoc. You can go to SupDocPodcast.com. It's a really good Thank you. Er, Thank you. A really good podcast. show about documentaries. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's been great having myself on here. <laughs> just hosted myself into your show. <laughs> <laughs> and again, I'm Luna Malbro. Luna is America on Twitter and Instagram and lunasfunny.com and also yeah your live show my live show live sex SF which is the best comedic talk show in SF awesome thank you guys thanks a lot thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed the show share your thoughts and opinions about this episode's themes on Twitter at and the internet and on the blog at layintheinternet.com you can also find the show on facebook.com slash layintheinternet oh and another plug If you listen to this on iTunes, make sure to rate the show so other people can find it.